Father, we give you praise. Thank you for your presence in our midst this evening. We worship you. We receive from you understanding. We receive from you light. We receive from you direction. In the name of Jesus Christ. Please, can we just, before we take our seats, let's take the word of um, understanding, the way we'd like to declare it, to activate our spirits so as to understand the word of God. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. His word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? Amen. I say that amen again. Amen. And that's your portion this evening in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Understanding will come to you. Amen. Clarity will come to you. Amen. You know, Solomon said, anger lies in the bosom of fools. What that means is that those who don't have understanding, they get angry anyhow. That's it. Their, their blood pressure is up because of lack of understanding. Now today, you will have understanding. Amen. And your anger will go down. Amen. You will no longer have high blood pressure. Amen. Somebody's high blood pressure will be cured today. Amen. The thing that's keeping you awake at night will disappear. Amen. Just because of the entrance of the word. Amen. That's what will happen to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, can you greet somebody on your left and your right? Tell the person, wisdom is your portion. Congratulations, you are very wise. Wise with the wisdom from above. All right, while you are doing that, just take your seats. The Lord is good. All right, let's open our Bibles. We are going to continue again from the book of uh, 1 Samuel. We've been looking at the way by which lifting comes in life, and we said it's purely as a result of the working of the Lord, divine lifting. It's not by our own works, but it's by what God is doing in us. And that's what we're trying to look at, and we're going to take a lot of lessons we said from the book of, uh, from the life of uh, David. First Samuel chapter 16. We read this last time, even though we ended up not passing too much. Um, in fact, we hardly passed any serious comment about it because we went in another direction, but we're back to it now. We are taking lessons from the life of the man David. From verse, um, now to save time, I'm going to jump here and there, okay? First Samuel chapter 16 from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, he said, how will I go? Saul may hear about it, and there will be trouble. Now the Lord told him, go ahead and offer a sacrifice. Now let's just go down to verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, 
because I have rejected him. Please notice the expression, rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the certificates, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the connection and the potential, what this fellow can bring to this company. But God looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab. I made him pass before Samuel, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, the least likely, the least qualified. One that did not think necessary to even bring to your presence. Where is he? He said, he, is, he said, behold, he is tending the sheep. That's what he qualifies for, not for kingship. He was a young boy, a teenager. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. We will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. There's another scripture I want us to read today. All right, let's quickly open our Bibles. First Chronicles chapter 5, taking from verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... For he was the firstborn. But because he defied his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. That is, now I want to talk about the sons of Reuben, but notice something, he's not going to be arranged according to his rightful position, being the firstborn. Why? Because he defied his father's bed. So, the best right was handed over to one of his younger brothers, his father's favorite, Joseph. And for that reason, Joseph had two tribes in Israel, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he said, for that reason, Reuben was not listed according to the position of his best. Now, that's not where I'm going. That's interesting, but that's not the gist. Look at verse 2. He said, though Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came the leader, Yet the best right belongs to Joseph. Now I want you to know something here. Judah prevailed over his brothers. And from him came the leader. Even though the best right belonged to whom? To Joseph. Something is striking here. It is assumed, therefore, from looking at the way it was spoken, that the leader should have come from the man with the best right. Do you understand my point? The first man with the best right was who? Reuben. He lost it. It was given over to Joseph. Joseph didn't lose it. Somebody just overtook him. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So the leader came out of Judah. Why? He said because Judah prevailed over his brothers. Even though the birthright belonged to whom? To Joseph. Just bear those things in mind. You know why? Nobody can claim anything in this life. In each generation, he that pleases him, does what is right before him, is acceptable to him. 
hope you're getting my point. Look, there's nothing to rely on more than pleasing God on a daily basis. I came from a family of preachers, has no meaning. Here, Reuben scattered everything for his whole generations. But I'm telling you that if somebody in Reuben had come out and done things differently, he would have reclaimed the best right for at least for his own family. As a matter of fact, God lifts people up. This is what we're trying to explain. Never forget it. Lifting is a decision that the Lord makes. Man will ex- examine your certificate. We'll ask you, what can you bring into this company? People check all kinds of things before they employ somebody or do business with the individual. But listen to this. God looks at the heart. And based on his own decision, everybody gets to a particular place in life. He said, by faith we understand. And as a believer, you must have this understanding. Because without faith, you have no understanding. Anything you will judge in life, you must judge by faith. That is, you understand it is God that does things. That is, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what we see did not come out of what is visible. So when you want to analyze things, stop talking like you don't know anything too. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is, how do, how, how do, do people talk? They say, do you know why that man is there? Because the cabal has made up their minds. When you say that, it's a sign you don't know anything. Because people without faith know nothing. The Bible says, only through faith do we have understanding. Without faith, we have no understanding. People will sit down, they're analyzing politics. Like one of my classmates said the other day. He said, we are just here talking. The decisions have been made. And when he was referring to that, he wasn't talking about PDP or APC. One of our big men the other day, (laughs) we heard he was angry. You know who I'm talking about? That he was not consulted before a man was chosen as somebody else's running mate. And (laughs) I said, it's lack of understanding. There are things I do in ministry. It's because of understanding. You see what I'm saying in a moment. You know, they came to John the Baptist. They said, Ha, Egbon John, good afternoon, sir. People are not loyal again. Even family members cannot be trusted. John said, What happened? Sir, I don't mean to cause problems between Abraham and Lot again, but let's check it. This man you baptized the other day, is he not your cousin? John said, Yes, that's Jesus Christ. He came here and you gave him good reception. We saw the way you talked to him. In this church, he was anointed into ministry. He said, yes. So what's the problem? Well, it's not as if I'm reporting brother to brother. I know you guys are cousins, but you see, actually, he has started another church down the road. And do you know why Pastor Kimte doesn't come here again? They were asking John, when last did you see Peter? Peter has joined his ministry. When last did you see John? That is the other John. He has joined the ministry. Andrew, Philip, James. When did you see them last? They used to be here. Were well, they not the ushers? One of them was a head deacon. One was a senior assistant baptizer. <laughs> you can be sure Peter was seriously baptizing with John. Come here, sinner. Let me dip into something. You imagine Peter will be there. Today I'm, I'm baptizing five Pharisees. <laughs> then one day they come to church. Let's say opening prayer. Uh, Brother Peter, please say the opening prayer. He was not around. He had gone to the new church that started down the road. So they came to John. They told John everything. I said, by the way, we forgot to mention, we will now do like 25,000 on Sundays. I said, the opening service in his church, there were 20,000. By the third service, there were 35. And it coincided with the fact, we were 50,000 here. Now we are 25, they are 35. Half of our members have gone there. 10,000 new people have joined. 
And they were telling you on all of this, what do we do? You know what we are going to do? I want to leak our secrets to you. We preachers, okay, Muti Anko. Let me leak our secrets. We will now organize program when they are organizing program. <laughs> if, they, if they invite um, Samuel Oposo, we invite Frank Edwards and Tioma Jesus. <laughs> At the same time, together. If they invite Godons, we'll invite AY. Competition. If their program is starting at 8, we'll make sure the opening prayer now is 7.30. What I've told you is embarrassing, but Okemute does things like this. <laughs> Anytime you hear Okemute, I'm just using him as a summary of all the preachers around. Now, this point I'm making. So you find out, that's how we react, human beings react. But they came to John. When they finished everything, they said to John, so what do you have to say? John laughed. You know what we were praying earlier? We said, anger lies where? In the bosom of fools. When we study Ecclesiastes, we understood what that meant. What Solomon was saying is that when you don't have understanding, you'll be getting angry. Imagine what happened to Job. If you did not see what transpired in heaven, your anger would be against the Sabians and all those people that came to raid Job. Your anger will be against ozone layer depletion. Your anger will be against those who are, you, who, are, who are burning fossil fuels, causing global warming, that led to the storm, that knocked down the house of Job. But if God opens your eyes, you look above, suddenly your anger will calm down. That this is not the discussion between Job and the things and people around. It's a discussion between God and Satan. And what's at stake is the faith of Job. You know, you will just relax. Sometimes that's why God gives us visions and dreams. There are things like that that I've had, you know, dreams about. When they occur, I just know, oh, this was what the Lord was just, you know, prompting us so that you won't get upset. They came to John. What do you have to say about your ministry going down? Why Jesus' ministry was increasing? He said, a man can receive nothing except it is given to him from above. Peter is no longer here because God said to him, time to move from here and go. They said, did I not tell you that he must increase and I must decrease? So there's no need to get angry. God is the one that lifts people up. That's why people get angry. I've never, when they tell me church split, they went two directions. I don't, look, it's in the Bible like that. There must be divisions. Paul said, otherwise, how would we know some people are correct? If all of us are always in agreement and some of us are wrong, we're all wrong. So, when church is split, it doesn't bother me. Listen to me. Oh, God. Watch over the next few years. Churches will split terribly in Nigeria. They will be fragmenting like broken plates. I see somebody took the china, threw it up. It hit the floor. You know how many pieces? That is what many major denominations in Nigeria will become. Don't be angry when it happens. It's God's way of rearranging things. John was not angry at all. He said to them, a man can receive nothing except it is given to him from above. Now, let's go back to what we're saying. Why did we read that first portion? Now, I read the second one, that first Chronicles chapter 55, to bring out the fact that the, the, the birthright initially belongs to Reuben by the natural order of things. Then by his works, he lost it. Then he moved over to his father's choice, Joseph. But Joseph could not even produce a leader. Because something happened in Judah. Not the Judah man, but the tribe. Not the Judah man, the tribe. I can say this confidently. 
Because David arose and surpassed everybody that was in Israel. Therefore, the scepter had to stay in Judah. I hope you are getting my point here. It had to stay there. I can say confidently, the first place God went to when they wanted to choose a king to replace Saul was Ephraim and Manasseh and began to count it down. Now, let, let's go back somewhere. No, okay, we're already just now. First, uh, that, that's First Samuel chapter 16. You notice something that happened there? Now, this is, where I, this is what came to my mind when I studied this. God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. He said to him, go and appoint for me what? A king. Anoint for me a king. Let me ask you a simple question. The answer is straightforward. No trick to it. Did God know who he chose? Answer me. Do you get my question? Was God aware of his own choice? Simple. Like I said, there's no trick to it. Just simple. Straightforward. Next question. Could he have told Samuel? No, could he have told Samuel? He and Samuel, they used to talk. He could have just simply told Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, look for David. There's one small boy there. Handsome boy is 16 and a half. All right? 16, you know, six months and three days. Is currently, when you get there, he will be with the sheep. Just tell the father, bring that little boy. I don't have time to waste. I'm in a hurry. Because he did that with um, Saul. He told him how Saul will come to him. How you recognize so? Why did he now play around? I sat on it one day. Why was he wasting his time, my time, someone's time, your time, all our times, playing this game? Or when someone stood there and said, okay, bring your sons. Eliab walked in. And God waited for him to make the mistake. He said, surely the Lord's anointed before him. They went through seven sons. Why didn't God just tell Samuel, stop wasting time? Count them, one, two. When you get to number seven, move all of them. They ask for the eighth one. When they bring him, anoint him. They have somewhere else for you to go. I am convinced of what I'm about to say, which I've said many times. Why did God do that? The Bible says these things were recorded for our learning. He wanted it written down like that. This Bible is small, yet he spared this number of verses. Just to make the change, just to describe for us the choice of David. Why? It is simple. He wanted all of us to know how he chose David. He wanted us to know David was not chosen at random. It was not tumbum, tumbum, who will pass here first. No. It was not, you know, the way they started in Israel. You will just make your animals pass one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten. You remove the tenth one. That's the tight. David was not like that. Every male in Israel, had to appear before him and be assessed. That was why, listen to me, the first statement he made concerning Eliab is that I have what? Rejected him. I told you when we were reading it, please note that expression. I did what? I rejected him. Why would he say I rejected? Except that his application was considered. I don't know whether you are getting my point here. Assuming I go to this bank, Keystone Bank, Assuming I never went there to apply for a job, would they write me and say your application has been rejected? That's how you know scammers. Don't you get those emails? Please update your token with Diamond Bank. You have never been to Diamond Bank in your life. That's how you know it's a scam. Because they send it to everybody they could find the address, hoping those who bank with Diamond will respond. But of course, nobody can tell me I've been rejected except I, I applied. My application was considered it was analyzed. 
What am I trying to say? Eliab was considered. He was analyzed. They checked everything, and the council in heaven said no. Why did God put that, that one there for us? I'll tell you. It's simply because this was how every male in Israel that was of age that he would accept. Of every tribe, including Reuben, I am convinced he started with Ephraim, then went to Manasseh, and then, I assume, Reuben, then went on and on and on until he got to Judah. And when he got to Judah, he took them family by family, from the eldest, the most, you know, the one with the best right in their own group. And he got to the house of Jesse. When he got to the house of Jesse, he went through the sons. He was about to leave when he found David. Because he said concerning David, I have found a man after my... He was looking. He was looking. And listen to this. What we have tried to emphasize so far is that he's the one that decides. Nobody else decides for him. So people, everybody came before him. And that was why he left this one for us there. He could have told Samuel. But this lesson will have been lost on us. So he didn't tell Samuel that. He told Samuel, let them pass before you one by one, that you may know how the whole of Israel passed before me one by one. And each one was rejected. Everybody senior to David in Israel, according to this ranking, is the rejected king. I don't know what I said. It was not only his seven older brothers. No. Every male in Israel senior to David was rejected for the post. They were considered. It will amaze you. <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. No matter where you are hidden, you know, David at this point in time was not anywhere prominent. He was talked away somewhere. And in that place, he was not even in the, he was not even where the sacrifice was happening. But you see, when God is considering, he knows where everybody is. So people tell you that uh, what you need is location. You need to move away from where you are and go somewhere where people can see you. When you believe that, you have rejected the fact that it's God that will lift you up. Because no matter where you are hidden, God knows how to bring you out. We'll look at David as we are going on in this series. Even after he was anointed, David went back to the job he was doing. One day I was sitting, you know, I had to balance some things, so I decided to read all of it. I found out that while he was doing his job, the first thing that took him to the palace had nothing to do with his anointing. That is the fact that Samuel anointed him. First thing that took him to the palace was what? He could play the, the instrument, the harp, harp. He could make good music. So they employed him to go and make the king calm down. And his employment was on a part-time basis. He wasn't taken before Saul permanently. Maybe come on weekends. He will work for some time. When the king is getting agitated, when he's really going mental low, are you getting my point? When things are rough with him, they will send for David. David will come. He will play for the weekend, calm the man down, then return back to his father's you know, um, ship. And while he's there, he will continue that work normally. Then one of those days, when there was war, his father said, go and check on your brothers. His father was sending the king up and down. The first time Saul really noticed him was when he killed Goliath. He had been playing. They, Saul, Saul was not sure who was playing. He wasn't seeing clearly. Now, I'm bring out something here. David did not position himself deliberately for lifting. I don't know whether you're hearing what I'm saying. No, no. He did not deliberately position himself for lifting. He did not. What took him first to, to, this, to the king's palace was just his skill. 
And I want every Christian to realize you don't need to deliberately position yourself. The time you spend deliberately positioning yourself is wasted time. It's lost time. It's time you still have to work to regain. Listen, I want people to understand this because, you see, the more we understand God, I said we can't walk except there's faith in our hearts. Except we understand this, faith is not kindled. It is not the one who is closest to the position of power that will become the king. There were people around Saul. The Lord did not choose them. David, this point we are making, God went through looking at the heart. Now, let's, let's get that one clear. God went through the whole of Israel looking at the heart. He went through the whole of Israel looking at the heart of the potential kings. And when he found one, he said, I have found a man after my heart. And what was it? He said, who will do all my desire? When he found out, he said, this one is the next king. Let's explain what David was. He was a young boy. Becoming a mighty man of valor happened after now. Because later on you see, they describe as a mighty man of valor. You must understand the valor they were talking about. He was a mighty man of valor over sheep. He had never been to war. No, think about it. He had never been to war. The first time, you know, when he was going to fight, when they asked him, have you, have you done this before? He said, yes, I keep my father's sheep. I killed a bear, I killed a lion. He, didn't, he had never fought a soldier. There's one, look, let's let just read that portion again. There's something I want to bring out from there. I want us to understand that God leads people. He can lift obscure people. People that nobody knows is there. Now, I just want to read an expression here. That's verse 12. He said, now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. <laughs> now, why did I point this one out? Here, he said he was handsome. Beautiful eyes. He said, ruddy and a handsome appearance. I want to contrast something here. When he went to, let's go back a few verses to verse 6. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why did he say that? I'll tell you. That was the closest to Saul in appearance of all the seven boys. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Remember the story of Saul. Saul was tall. It was a head and neck above the closest person to him in Israel. The next person was near his shoulder. He had the build of a commander. Now, this is my conviction. When he saw Eliab, Eliab reminded him of Saul. Eliab had been to war. Eliab was a man of war. Now, why am I saying this? When David came in, they didn't describe David like that. David was handsome. How do you see a man of war? Have you ever seen a man of war in the Bible? He's handsome. Now, they said he had the dark skin. If you have um, New Living Translation here, I guess the emphasis is that sun don't beat them well. I mean, if you're a shepherd, you're out there in the sun all the time. The man was handsome. This is my understanding of it. So as to show that he was not a strong-appearing person. It was the opposite of Eliab. It wasn't like Eliab. He was not qualified, naturally speaking, to be king. I was in the experience of David. It dawned on me that he did all of those things in his early 20s. Between early to mid-20s. Because by the time he was 30, the whole of Israel had crowned him king. The men fighting for David were older than him. The men fighting for David were stronger than him, physically speaking. Joab did things. You know, David said, this Joab is too difficult for me. Joab was his cousin. I hope you know that. 
Joab and his brother, they were tough men. They worked for David. We'll get there later. You'll see how God used those people to make David king. I'm trying to say something here. David in himself didn't have the qualifications. The way natural people would talk about qualifications, he did not have. In himself, he didn't have it. He was young. At this point, he was a teenager. He was not yet qualified to be enlisted in Saul's army. But his heart was right. What God was looking for was inside his heart. Not his physical qualifications. Not his certificate. No. I said something earlier. The Bible said, I was saying that we should learn to judge like God. He said, by faith we understand. Without faith we have no understanding. If you see somebody attain anything in life, stop looking for how he got there. Say, you know, he positioned himself. He did a master's, he did a second master's, and he did a third master's, and he had a PhD in one of them, and then he applied for the best government job in town, then he proved himself, then he left there, went to private sector. From private sector, he got a political appointment, and then he was positioned, and he was ready. Tell your neighbor, position yourself. Position yourself. (laughs) You hear that all the time, don't you? Position yourself. And when they tell you position yourself, what do they mean? Acquire skills. Acquire this, acquire that. I am not sure. At this point in time, David did not know how to fire an arrow. Sorry, do do you think so? He didn't know how to fire an arrow. What was he using? That was what he was using. I'm sure of that. Because when he was going to face Goliath, he said, I beg, let me use the one I'm used to. This one, I'm used to it. David was still gathering stones to face lions, animals. Listen to me, people. He was literally a small boy. He was literally a small boy. He was not a big boy. And that's why young people must understand. It is at that age God is choosing people. Many people want to waste their youth. Then when they are older, they now settle down. They've rejected you. You were rejected long ago. <laughs> People don't realize it. In the time they are choosing, you are there, you are doing tough guy. That's when God is choosing. David was a teenager. He was not old. I like one thing Solomon said to us. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. The time, listen to me, the time you are making up your mind deliberately to become something important is too late. Decisions have been made. But now you become aware. Let me position myself. They made up their minds in heaven where you are going to get to where you never get to. <laughs> Another thing I should let you know. David at that time did not understand this principle of so a seed for being a king. I gave God my last sheep. <laughs> Listen. By the time God was choosing David, oh please, I pray you get my point. He wasn't doing anything deliberately. For the purpose of becoming a king. He did not even know the position was vacant. I hope you know Saul was rejected shortly after he was anointed. So even by natural order of things, David was not aware that the position was vacant. The only person that knew the position was vacant was Samuel. Nobody else in Israel was aware that this position was vacant. Incidentally, can I say this to you? I'm convinced about it. Before Saul was anointed... God was already looking for David. I'm convinced of that. By the time Samuel came to talk to Saul, God had chosen David 
And when he came to tell Saul, you have been rejected. He said, I have found a man after my heart. He said, why did you not choose Saul? Saul was a bad idea. He told them from the beginning that this fellow is a bad idea. He told them all the bad things he would do. They said, give him to us. So he chose the kind of king for them that fitted their heart at that time they could receive. It was not God's idea. It was his decision, but it was not the one that wanted Saul. What am I going to say? By the time God was scanning, by the time God was choosing David, nobody even realized that a, a, a choice was being made. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So this deliberately preparing ourselves for some things, eh? position yourself for kingship, position yourself for this. Most of the time, by the time we start this positioning, it's already too late. I'm not mentioning anybody's name. But when you see politicians getting frustrated in Nigeria sometimes, that's what's happening. You don't realize that, listen, where you got to now, it's not because you skimmed. There's something about human beings they don't get, they don't understand. Where they get to, they got there not because they skimmed. Things, time and chance happen to them. The next place they want to get to, they now want to skim up there. So you know what God now does? He now frustrates them. They now be getting angry. But let's focus on our story about David. Not David exactly, but ourselves. I've established so far that God doesn't care where you are. He can pick you from wherever you are hiding. If God puts you in the desert, he knows what he's using to test your heart in the desert. People come and tell you that, look, this desert has no future. Have you you heard such things before? What are you doing here? If you want to move, you want to move in ministry, you move to Lagos. Lagos is where the action is. If you want to move in ministry, you don't stay around here. What are you doing in Oka? You want to make it in ministry? No. You get to Abuja, you get to Port Harcourt. That is where you will find people who will support your ministry. Now, what I'm telling you, I was, somebody made that last statement to me. I said, sir, what are you doing in Lagos? He said, there you will find people who will support your ministry. I said, eh, ah, okay. Well, if it's now, I will, st- I will talk. That time I did not know. I just kept, I knew, but I didn't know how to tell him, sir, you are wasting your time. You will get to Lagos, you know what you'll find? People who will ruin your ministry. See, they are more in number than those who will support you. Are you getting my point? Everything is plenty there. If God has not established you there, what you will meet there is frustration. Please, get this point. It's not deliberately positioning yourself for something that raises you up. No, it's not. It is in having a heart that God will test and say, yes, this fellow has fulfilled my desire in this particular area. I cannot lift him or her to that position. Even if the individual was in the wilderness, hiding. We know the story of, of uh, Moses. When he was closest to the palace was when he lost everything. When he was farthest away from the palace was when God now made him the ruler, technically, of his people Israel. That was when he, made, he did all kinds of mighty works by his hands. Especially when, he, in fact, when the man himself had given up, did not think anything was going to happen again, that was when God chose him. The question we're asking is, why did God choose David? I want us to read the particular scripture again. We read it last time. Let's just really get down again. Read this. The book of Luke chapter 19. Now let's never forget. God is a lifter. All right. The book of Luke chapter 19. Let's read this again. Let's start from verse 12. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Now, go down to verse 15. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know 
what business they had done. The first appears saying, Master, your miner has made ten more miners. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your miner, master, has made five miners. And he said to him also, You are to be over five cities. Let's stop here so as to save our time. Now, there's a reason why I read this. Now, we say God is the one that lifts people up. The Bible says that the kingdoms belong to him, and he sets upon them the lowliest of men. Now, when the Bible says, when Solomon was speaking, he said, the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the strong, he said, bread is not to the mighty, favor is not to men of understanding. What he was saying is that the strongest man does not necessarily win the race, uh, win the fight. The fastest does not necessarily win the, the race. That what happens to people is what? It appears on the surface, when you look under the surface, time and chance happens to them. Now, let's establish this again for people to understand. There is nothing like time and chance as far as God is concerned. What I'm going to say is this. Chance is not, does not exist. What Solomon was saying is saying when we look under the sun, do you get my point? That is, if we remove the hand of God, we just observe life objectively. Let's rule out the supernatural. It will appear as if it's just chance that happens to people. Do you understand my point? That is, they didn't become rich, Solomon would say, because they did everything right. Like I was saying the other time, everything they did that we cannot trace as the reason why they became influential and wealthy, many people did the same thing and failed. Let me say this to you again. All the keys of success you read in all these common books, all these motivational books, the problem is just that people who failed did not tell their story. They also did those things right. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They say, rise up early. David said, at the end of the day, we'll find it is vain. Go to bed late. But many people did it. They didn't get anything. So David said, it is vain. When they say, you need to be principled. You have to know how to, you know, handle your business. Many people did. A simple government policy changed, and their whole life was over. I hope you know that. One day, my wife and I were trapped. This was years ago. Then we saw, you know, I don't know how many of you remember when President Bassanjo took power. He tried to rearrange some things. Some people went to court that they had concerned the toll gates on these our express roads nationwide to some companies. So they went to court to be fighting. Then around that same time, he wanted to increase fuel price. So while some people were challenging his authority in court, he said, all right, uh, I will use the increase in fuel price to subsidize the toll gates. So no need for toll gates again. <laughs> While they were in court, nationwide, overnight, all federal roads, all toll gates were bulldozed. Why are you finding your case in court? Oh, God, I have removed the toll gate. So there was nothing to fight over. You couldn't, you know, they, 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 it was just impossible to fight that matter. So it was one of the, shortly after that, we were now driving past. Of course, when I first came to Enugu, they were, Two toll gates, I mean, we're just, yeah, two. One at ninth mile, after ninth mile, and one just before you get to nature. We were just blowing past. Phew! I told my wife, I said, see, some people build businesses, careers around the traffic around toll gates. You know that? One single government policy, that was the end of it. They did everything right. There was one thing one man said, <laughs> the CEO of Nokia, 
How many people know technological history, modern history of technology? Nokia was the number one phone company in the world. Nokia. They were there doing, we are number one, we are number one, we are number one. Their CEO made a statement, and God does not like pride. He said, we determine the direction of mobile telephony in the, on the earth, in the world, that we are the ones that make, we decide. And you don't blame him. Forever they have been in front. Everybody has struggles of second position. Nobody bothers to f- try the first position. It's like, okay, let's work hard. You are, Motorola and Samsung were always fighting for number two. Today's Motorola, tomorrow. Apple did not have anything inside phone. Apple was purely a computer company. They were just making Macintosh, their Mac, and then they started making the laptops. That's all. And Nokia said, and Nokia has some wicked phones. I remember Nokia Communicator. When you wanted to show you had power, you brought out a Nokia Communicator. Then God said, I will switch the kingdoms. Now, I don't want anybody to think it was Steve Jobs. It's God that said, I will switch the kingdoms. How do I do it? I will give somebody the knowledge of witty inventions. The Apple guy sat down, designed one small thing. And Nokia was there laughing. <laughs> they were like something. I will go out as, at former times. And when the iPhone came out, you know, it was pretty expensive. So everybody felt, not a big deal. Only a few rich people will buy it. Then Nokia sat down there every day. Their market share kept on going down. Kept on going down. Kept on going down. They know there's the way God works. God kept on producing, releasing knowledge, technology, science coming out. So that every corner in China, they were making smartphones. Before Nokia knew what was happening, they were, they were not existing anymore. And then I'm going the whole story. When they were selling off their, uh, their, their mobile section, the man said, we did everything right. We don't know what happened. Now, I laughed at him again. I said, this man is very foolish. That is, there are statements you don't make. But let's just stick with that his statement. He did everything that he knew to do. They pulled every string. What happened? They shut down. If you have a Nokia, and it's not a Nokia, the, the, the name is all they now sell. That's what's going on. When you hold a Nokia, don't be fooled. It's not the same Nokia. It's the name they are selling. Why am I telling the story? The man said, we did everything. That is, we'll go over it again. What else were we supposed to do? But God who owns the kingdoms, just switched the kingdom. So I'm going to emphasize something to you here. Please don't ever forget what I'm saying. So when you buy all these books, Brian Tracy, give me their names again. Stephen Covey, Anthony Robbins, even Robert Kiyosaki, thank you. You buy all those books, please. I've read many of them. It's for entertainment. It's for you to know what everybody is thinking. It has never crossed my mind as a key to success. No. What I have found out is people did all those things and still failed. I told you something here before, which I heard about uh, George Soros, that funny American billionaire, Hungarian-American. His son says something. Now, this is a billionaire. George Soros, let me explain something to you. His reputation is that he fought the Bank of England. All right? He had a bet against the Bank of England, and he won. Against the British pound. He personally engineered to to drop the value of the pound. He knew what he was doing. Very good with the financial markets. He borrowed money in pounds. 
watched the markets, moved all the, this was before the days of the euro, borrowed money in pounds, moved all the money to Dutch mark. And then after some movement, moved some things here and there, the value of the British pound dropped. Then he moved his money back to London. That drop in value made him $1 billion. George Soros is too good. He did it deliberately. Like, he watched the market. He said the British pound is coming down. So he borrowed plenty of money from them and went and kept it, changed it to Dutch marks and kept it in Germany. Held it and made some small movement. Of course, all of this market thing is people observing. When the value dropped, he moved it back. Pocketed $1 billion in difference. Now, I'm telling the story. His son, his son said, he's an old man now, because his son was a, was, a, was a grown man when he was saying it. His son said, anytime he sees his father talking on television, talking about market analysis, that he laughs. That he says he doesn't believe what his father is saying. I don't know whether I get my point. The man said, I don't believe my father. Why? He said, because I have seen him make decisions. All this one he's saying is not what he does. That he just wakes up in the morning. If he's feeling good, he makes a decision. If he's feeling bad, he makes another decision. That all his decisions are made based on how he feels. That this analysis is giving you people, don't mind him. <laughs> because the guy, really, and if you read the art of the deal, okay, by Donald Trump, America's current president. I read it long ago. Donald Trump said there was a day he had, look, they had done their due diligence, done everything. And he woke up one morning. He was supposed to sign the deal maybe the next day. He said he woke up in the morning and he felt bad. He canceled the deal. No reason. He just called the guys. I'm no longer interested. Over the next few weeks, he showed that if he had signed that deal, he probably have been wrecked. He just woke up in the morning and said, Ah, I feel bad. Ah, that deal. Mm, my spirit, if I was a Christian, you know, my spirit said to me. <laughs> All my son of this is to emphasize to you that time and chance Time and chance. Many of the things they told us, do, do, do. People did them and failed. Many of the things that made them succeed, they did not plan to do them. They didn't plan to do them. Please don't forget that. People don't succeed because they deliberately plotted it. You know what he said? He, no, let's, I think I need to, we need to read this one also. Mark chapter 4. I keep quoting it, but I want us to read it. Mark chapter 4. Verse 26. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. What does he say? How he himself does not know. He said, The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, I want you to notice something here. He said, this man plants. He casts the seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. He does this continually. He said, the, air sprouts and the, the seed sprouts and grows. How? He said, he himself does not know. One of the things I'll bring out from there is to let you know that the man still had to do what? Plant. And that's what I want to talk about along the line. What we need to do is learn to do what is right. I know what Solomon said. He said, sow your seed in the morning. At night, don't withhold your hands. He said, you don't know which one will prosper or whether both of them alike will do well. People say he's speaking in unbelief. He wasn't speaking in unbelief. He was telling us what life is like. 
Listen, I mean, you know, many times we talk about, oh, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs. Is his name Job or Job? Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, Steve. Okay, what did he make? Let's talk about it. Made a Mac. Then they came out with the iPod. iPod was, oh, a killer, a, a game changer. He brought out the iPod. You could store thousands of music in a small device. Before that time, Sony, everyone was kind of Sony Walkman. They made the last Walkman about two years ago. Finally shut it down. It was, you know, iPod took over. And instead of carrying cases up and down, you just transferred everything to your iPod and you could have thousands of music in one small device. Then it went to the iPod Nano, iPod Mini, iPod Nano. Oh, Steve Jobs. Oh, we, we the very, very, you know, the guy, serious inventor. They came out with the iPhone. After the iPhone, iPad. After the iPad, I die. Are you getting my demand? <laughs> the man died shortly after. Now, what, what am I going? Where am I going to? He set up a very powerful company that a few weeks ago became the world's first trillion dollar company. Currently worth over a trillion dollars. Capital, that is the capitalization market cap. What we think is that that's all he did. Believe me, for every product you heard of, probably had 10 that died. That's where I'm going. Most of the products he invented did not make it. They failed. Many of them you didn't even hear about. Some of them came out and disappeared again. But we have forgotten them because of the ones that succeeded. That was why Solomon said, sow your seed in the morning. At night, don't stop sowing your seed. What Solomon said, just be busy. Do and look, listen. As believers, our own key is this: do what is right constantly. Diligence is a trait of spiritual people. They are not lazy people. Oh, nobody is saying. You know, that's sometimes when you say some of these things, people don't understand what you are saying. They think you are saying that uh, just relax. The one that will bless you, God has appointed it. If you relax in that relaxing mood, the one that God has appointed will come to your door. It will pass you by. It will come next day after he has come three times. The fourth time will be the last time. So why do you choose four? Let's not go by it. But that's what God does. He doesn't, it's not, he will wait for you forever. We relax in faith. But this is a sign of the fellows walking by faith. You know, the man who is, who is lazy, who is planless, what we call NFA. When we're in school, we used to call them NFA. You know what NFA means? No future ambition. They don't care about anything. They also seem like the people of faith. Two of them look alike. One day I meditated and said, what is the difference? I said, the man who is not worried about tomorrow and the one who is actually walking by faith, you know how you know the difference? It's simple. Look at how they are handling the matters of today. He doesn't have a long-term plan. She doesn't have a long-term plan. But today, if you say, keep this place clean, he will be the first to get here. Sweep it neat. Be the last to leave. Pick up every piece of paper somebody you know, dropped. Vacuum the, the crumbs of biscuits that children drop and then go. So what's your plan for the future? He doesn't have. But the present you have given him, you have given her. <laughs> Unbeatable. That is why the word faith and faithfulness in the New Testament, they are the same. New Testament, faith and faithfulness, they are the same word. The translators have to look at the context to know whether the Bible is talking about faith or talking about faithfulness. Because faith is manifested in faithfulness. 
So if somebody says, I'm believing God, say, no problem, I, I believe with you. We all believe God. Let's see the sign. Nine o'clock, he has not woken up. Like I keep on saying, old man eating father and mother's pension money. You know, they are, you know that they are, listen to me, there are people that God must punish. Listen, listen, this is not an insult. I'm not cursing you. If you are of age, your father will collect pension money, your mother will collect pension money, they buy breakfast and you eat. You will be sick. You shouldn't eat them. You should not. You shouldn't. Make up your mind that I will not eat unless I bring something home. Go out in the morning. Say, okay, pastor, where should I go? Go to a car wash. Go and meet Bishop. Today I drove with Bishop, went to some place. See construction everywhere. Go and, Look, go to... What, what, that place you took me to. What part of town is that one? Loma Linda. Loma, good. You know why I like the Loma Linda extension? It's deep inside. Nobody will know you are there. If your name is not Bishop, what are you looking for there? I never, I've never been to there before in my life. Because I was in this car today and I had strange colors in Enugu. See buildings grown up. Just go to one. So what are you doing here? Say I'm a university graduate. I have a BSc engineering. Praise God. So what are you doing here? I will not eat today if I don't carry bread home. Why? Pastor Banky wants to kill me. He said that God will punish me if I eat. So what can we do for you? What does it cost to help you carry cement and block? And if you really you have a BS in engineering, by the end of the week, you should be able to lay the block. Ah, am I lying? You should use your intelligence, which you passed mathematics and physics, to see how the men are laying the block. Lay your own. At the end of two weeks, you'll be amazed. Those people make more money than all the civil servants who are sitting down in offices. I hope you know that. Bishop, am I lying? They do. Then you go there and go and work. At least when you are coming back home, you will bring one loaf of bread. It's not 350 naira for the big one. You buy some small, small things and come home. That has guaranteed you food for the day. And that's not the only thing you eat, but you cannot share the one in the house. But the one that you wake up in the morning, you ask your, money, you ask your mother anything. You are old. You left school. Your mother is collecting pension, and you are eating it. Tomorrow is Sunday. On Monday, you are in Lomalida Extension. So what if I can't go to Lomalida Extension? There's no problem. Go to the car wash down here. Wash a car. Stop eating curses unto yourself. Your father is a pensioner. You are almost 30. You left school three years ago. You are still eating pension money. You want to die. You know why you are still alive? I'll tell you. God does not want your father and mother to cry. Listen to me. There's too much pride in Nigeria. It's not there's no job. The same people, go and see them in America. Thank God for Uber. Uber has delivered all of them from carrying Pongpong in America. Every man don't register now for Uber. And I hope you know there's Uber in Lagos. Let me tell this my testimony, one I heard of recently. I told you here when I first heard it, but let me just repeat it for a short while. One of our brothers told me about the taxi man who carried him in Benin. So university graduate, but he was jobless. So he decided to use either his car or somebody's car and do taxes. By the time I was carrying this brother, he had 11. How many cars did I say? He had 11 taxes. 11. He started driving a taxi. And he was still driving a taxi. David, oh, there are some Davids in this world. He was still driving his taxi, even though he had 11. And once he carries you once, you are hooked. Because he's a university graduate and he shows in his services. 
This is our brother that he was carrying. He comes to pick him in the morning. He's, he has bought two newspapers and he's on the seat. So as soon as he enters into the back seat, you see two major newspapers inside there. As he's driving you, the car is air-conditioned. You are reading newspaper. It's yours. If you want to come down and take it, he doesn't care. He got into that out of joblessness. And maybe somebody like me preached to him that you will soon die. Now he said, no, I don't want to die. You have a BS in engineering. Do you know what schools you pay you if you can teach mathematics and physics very well? You are waiting for, you are waiting for, waiting for Exxon Mobil. They have enough. MTN is not employing again. Don't worry. People of faith, they are faithful today. That's what we are saying. People of faith, they are faithful on a daily basis. But get back to, let's get back to what we're saying. So, so you're sitting in the morning. At night, don't withhold your hands. So many people have tried to do principles of success. They don't work. These things are a gift of God. What are we supposed to do? Faithful people, faithful believers. We are busy on a daily basis. God gives the opportunity to people daily. It is not those who strategically position themselves for leadership or for wealth or for promotion that get it. It is those that God gave it to. But these people, where does he pick them from? That's what we're talking about. He doesn't just close his eyes and pick them from anywhere. He picks them from a particular group of people. I dare to say, all those sitting at home brushing their teeth in the morning, waiting for God will soon promote me, God does not interview them. You remember that one? God interviewed Eliab and said, you failed. Can you remember? Those who are at home, God didn't interview. I suspect. When they were doing the interview, where was David? Keeping sheep. All those who are sitting at home, grumbling with their father. There's no job in this country. God doesn't interview them. So this guy is useless. If there's no job in the country, get down and say, wash your father's car. Clean the compound. Then God will interview you. If you are waking up at, say, at 11 o'clock, especially after watching movies till 2 a.m., you know some men are so stupid. They are jobless and they are watching film. How can you be jobless and watching film at the same time? Two reasons not, not, not to go forward in life. You will even join the women to be watching Telemundo. <laughs> you must know how to put the flesh under. Oh, you are jobless, don't watch TV. It's a sign you have not. Look, if you are jobless, be, at least be browsing job sites. And listen to me, the first one you get that's reasonable, take it. Don't say how much are they paying, it's too small. Take, listen, you've been jobless for one year, 18 months, two years now. I've been nobody so. So if you just say, okay, let me go and do this one for six months, will you die? But at least you won't be jobless for six months. Let me just tell you something, this is natural life. Employers don't like gaps in CVO. You see him saying that it's true, he knows. Once they see a long gap in your CV, they are worried. You finish school when? So you tell them 2012. NYC when? You say, okay, 2014, fine. So what are you doing in 2015? I was looking for work. 2016, I was looking for work. 2017, I was looking for work. I'm not the one that will give you work in 2018. <laughs> They won't answer you. They will not answer you. I like one thing. I hope you don't mind. Your wife won't mind. The story you told me us the other day. That when your wife was waiting for work, she cooked rice, go sell for NYC camp. <laughs> we are being tested every day. We are being tested every day. Every day. We are being tested every day. Thank God for this is that they have job and all kinds of sites. I mean, it's a look. I have a BS in engineering. I'm very good with maths and physics. 
And I've been queuing for MTN, mobile, shell all this while. And eating pension money. That's the one that just pinning me. <laughs> if your father is rich, it's bad enough. Now that he's not rich, you now be calling your cousin in America. Your boy they here. <laughs> as if he did not know. You think because in America he doesn't have his own problems? America is one place that free dollar is scarcer than in Nigeria. Did you hear what I said? It's easier to find a free dollar in Nigeria than to find it in the U.S. U.S. is one place you don't find free dollar. You don't find it. It's not available. It's so hard to come by. So hard. I told you, first time I went to the U.S. house some years ago, I, I was there for about, about a month. You know, I stayed with my brother-in-law for the first... But I kind of stayed in his house, just that like he left after the first two weeks. One of those days, <laughs> I gave him... I mean, I wasn't dashing him money per se, you know, because he was helping me around, you know. So, I wanted to buy fuel. So, I just brought out money and gave him money to buy fuel. He said, oh, bros. Don't say, am I, am I the Niger Delta guy? A worry guy, you know? Worry axis. He said, ah, bros. <laughs> he says, I come to this country. Now only three people don't dash me money. <laughs> and after I've been in the U.S. for a number of years. He says, I came to this country. Only three people have given me money. He said, the first, my mama. So you hear what I said? <laughs> he said, number one, my mama. He said, number two. My sister, your wife. Number three, you. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> he had been in America for years. He said only three times had anybody given him free, free dollar. All three from Nigeria. I hope he got my pigeon well. He said number one, my mama. Number two, and I remember that number two. One day, somebody was traveling abroad. So my wife just gave the person like $100, please. Okay, when you see him, tell him I said you should give him this. So that was the second time anybody was giving me a free dollar. And I, and I arrived. And I wasn't even, I was just, okay, we're moving around together now. Okay, let's buy fuel. I brought that money to buy fuel. He said, this is the third time. Maybe in the last five years I've seen free dollar. <laughs> All of them from Nigeria. So you're sitting down waiting for your cousin to send money. He's not going to send. He does not have. Yeah. What I'm trying to say, where does God pick people that he lifts up from? It's from amongst faithful people. Who are faithful in little things? They are faithful in little things. Why do we read this particular parable? Now, two things I wanted to bring out. One, God looks at the heart. He told Samuel that. Which means whatever reason he chose David was in David's heart. Are you getting my point? But this manifests, like we said, faith and faithfulness, they are the same thing. It manifests in faithfulness. The parable we read in that Luke chapter 19, listen to this. Those men did not know why God gave them the minas. The master said, do business with this till I come. He did not tell them that when I come back, depending on how you perform, I will now make you ruler over cities. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He just said, do business with this until I come back. So he gave, he gave each person his own mina. Do business till I come back. Give the next person. Give all of them. Then when he returned, he started saying to them, what did you do? That one said, your minute has made 10 more. He said, now I have used that one to judge your ability. You can handle 10 cities. The next one, he said, you can handle 5 cities. I have judged your ability, you can handle 2 cities. My emphasis there is that they did not know they were being tested for rulership. Joseph did not know when he was in the house of Potiphar, it was the test of God to become prime minister. 
He did not know that his reaction to imprisonment was a test of God for him to become prime minister. Because these tests come in stages. What am I saying? They give you a job in Enugu civil service. It is not a career path that you have just chosen. You have entered into the test of God. You can join all the other civil servants and say, how much are they paying? Is it my father's business? You go to work when you like, go to work when you don't like, you leave work undone. If they don't bribe you, you don't do things. Many people have changed their destiny. God came and rejected them. And they don't know. And they are in church, giving offering, seed. Tonight you will sow a seed and say, this is my year of promotion. God said, two years ago, I made up my mind you will never be promoted. So from now to tomorrow. That's why people get frustrated. They don't know what God is counting. They think it's the offering they put in the offering basket. You know, it's now I understand why God said at the time, I'm tired of your sacrifices. You know, he told Israel. He said, I am tired of their sacrifices, of your sacrifices. For many people, it may sound funny, but I can assure you for many people, God said, I don't want to offer from you again. Because this offering is annoying. Every time you bring it, you know what it is for? For promotion. For increase. Hmm. This January, I'm going to tell God I will not be the same at the end of December. So I'm going to do something dangerous. I say, look, this December is not the issue. Ten Decembers, you'll still be on the same spot. This decision was made last year. Where was it made? In your office. Not in church. It was made in your office. Look, corruption in Nigeria will end if pastors preach what I'm preaching. If all of us pastors are gathered. If we all gathered and can says, okay, everybody must preach this one daily. That's weekly for one year. Now, first of all, the first one year, church revenue will go down. No, it will go down. Let's not lie. It will go down. But it won't suffer. After all, most of the time, we're using the money for crazy things anyway. We'll just rearrange our priorities. And kingdom will still advance. But believe me, by the second year, nobody will be able to use corruption fight to campaign again in Nigeria. Because corruption will disappear. If all of us, all of us pastors say, listen, God said, I don't want any offering if you are lazy and if you are dishonest. Two groups of people that must not give in this church. Civil servants who don't do their work. Any employer, employee that's not satisfying why he was employed. And if you are taking money that does not belong to you, no offering. You know what? <laughs> people will be afraid. You know why? No cover. <laughs> yes. The voter, that's, what, that's how they reason. But believe me, do you know what? Honestly, if we did this as a church, people will become more diligent. God will lift them up more. Then when they give money out of that which God blessed them with, it will be plentier. A time will come, we won't know what to do with money again. But right now, we are afraid to tell the truth because of the immediate dip in resources. I have realized something, like I said to you all last time. Every cover that comes into my hands and that of Kingdom World Ministries, do you get my point? That is my own personal thing. I believe that God sends it. So I don't have to do anything out of, to be smart to get money. And I believe the same thing for Kingdom World. That's why I tell people that, look, if God gave you money to give us, you can't, you, listen, if you don't give it, I will appear in your dream. <laughs> you just be sleeping one day. Just see, Pastor Mark is preaching to you everywhere. Said, there is seed for the sower and bread for food. Say, Pastor, what's my own now? They now say, okay, last week I got some money and my spirit was saying, Kai, that that money I should share it half, half, half for Kingdom World Ministries. I'm telling you, you can't take a, look, listen, let me just warn you ahead. If God gave you money 
for us to preach the gospel in this ministry. If you don't release it, when you're supposed to release it, you will pay 20%. <laughs> the Lord is good. What am I trying to explain? I'm just trying to emphasize to you, I'm not afraid to tell the truth, thinking money will go down. The one that's coming to us was commanded by God. That's, that's, that's all I'm trying to explain. That's all I'm trying to explain. But what I'm trying to emphasize to all of us, listen, God lifts people up. The people he lifts up, they have one trait. They are faithful people. It's their habit. They are in the wilderness. Their name is David. They are not particularly qualified. They are not connected. They are not in the center of activity. But their heart is pleasing to God. They have a heart of faith. They have the heart that manifests faithfulness. Anything they put into their hands to do, they do it. They walk in righteousness persistently. Let's see the scripture and I close with it. Quickly, Genesis chapter 18. Lifting is not an accident. You will be lifted by God. Somebody say amen. amen. I just want to read a few verses. Then I close with that. Verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. What I want to bring out is that he said his children, his household, must learn to do what? Righteousness and justice. These two things are important in the lives of those that God will lift up. Listen, what you are doing, listen, the world will tell you, save up this amount, do this for your future. Let me tell you the truth. Your future is in God's hands. Somebody say amen. amen. Everything he puts in your hand, every situation you find yourself in, you are supposed to just make sure you are pleasing to him. God is your investment, not the bank. I hope you're getting my point. The pleasure of God is your investment. There are times, you look, you, like Abraham, you will look at money, King of Sodom, and you walk away. And that's the investment for your future. I don't know what I hear what I said. You look at an opportunity and you walk away from it. And God says that is the investment for your future. That's walking away. That ability to turn and say no. Let's look at the man like Joseph. Let's look at his relationship with Mrs. Potiphar. Look at it beyond the matter of adultery. Because you see, sexual immorality is bad. Amen? But there's something about it. The adulteress, the Bible says, hunts for precious lives. Now, that adultery is a spirit. It's not just a woman, like Mrs. Potiphar. And that harlotry spirit is all over the place. You know what he's doing? Having people sell their souls for temporary gain, for temporary pleasure. Many people just walk in the way, say, this one, I know the money is good. Even if it is not bad a thing, it's just against your personal rules. I don't know what I get my point. See, the word of God... I'm, I'm rushing, I really want to close. It comes in different aspects. We've talked about that before. There is the promises of God. There are the precepts or principles of God. Now, we talked about the testimonies. What are testimonies? They are personalized commandments. Something that is not wrong for other people, but is wrong for me. Are you getting my point? So, like, like Abraham, taking the goods of the king of Sodom was not wrong. It was just wrong for Abraham. I don't know whether you get my point. Many times in life, what Satan is trying to do is to make us break those rules. And what we don't understand is that even when it comes to those personalized rules, the thing is not bad though, just not my thing. Do you know, just walking away from such things is the investment for your future. 
Many people, are, you know, the world makes us focus on what we can do. No, it's how we can please God with every single act that determines what our future will be like. The future is not an accident. It's a commandment from God. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, by faith we understand that what we appear will not come out of things that are, to today's, that are visible today. Look, those days when we started reading some of these books, one of the ones very, very well known is uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. I don't know how many of you have read it. In that book, you see a man, Akkad or something, that the king of Babylon, the man was the richest man in Babylon. So the king of Babylon said, go and teach the men how to be rich. And that's why the book was popular. Everybody was reading it because Akkad told everybody how to save money, how to invest a portion, how to be wise. Because one man that saved up money went and bought gems from Phoenix. And he said, these Phoenicians, they are are crooked. So they sold him painted stones and glass. And that's how he lost all his money. So, he went and started again. Now, if you read the book, the Akkad man was teaching how to invest your money. But you need to read in between the lines to realize that was not how he made money. You know how he made money? If you read the book, he was telling the investment principles he learned from a rich man. And what happened was that he wanted to be rich. He was a clerk. And that man came to the town, uh, the, the town hall to come and do some business where he was a clerk. And the man, for him to do a particular job for the man in a hurry, because not now they have photocopying, you have to copy things by hand. The man had a lot of things to write. So he said, if you write it, finish it for me by a particular period, I will teach you how to make money. So that old man was not teaching this young Akkad. I'm not sure I got the name right, but let's just assume that I'm getting that Akkad right. He was not teaching him how to do, you know, invest money, handle money. And those were the things he was now passing down to people later. Are you getting my point? Now, he followed that man for years. So the man will return and say, how are you doing? He will show, okay, I used to have, let's say, um, one, one over a hundred of a gold coin. Now I've increased it to two gold coins. And the man said, oh, you are doing well. Then one day when the man was old, the man now called him and said, I'm very rich. Listen to this. My sons have refused to learn the things I have taught you. Let's make a long story short. He handed over his estate to this man. That is, when he was teaching later, he forgot one thing. That I am not what I am today because of these principles I'm teaching you. I'm, I, I am what I am today because a man endowed me with favor. It was because a man endowed me with favor. I'm a result of favor. Are you getting my point? However, what I did prepared me to receive the favor. That is, no matter how much you obey those instructions, except favor is shown to you, you never get there. And that's one reason why I like what my Mudok said. He said, one moment of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. That is why what you need in life is what? The favor of God. What was I saying? Akkad was saying, in effect, it's good to learn what is right. But what lifts you up in life is one moment of favor. Favor was what God showed to David. He was a diligent shepherd. Yes, he was. He was a faithful shepherd. But what took him to the throne was the favor of God. One day he was in his house, and the, the prophet arrived, anointed him, said, you are the next king. Listen, God is looking for you to anoint as kings in different areas of life. And after he has anointed you, we'll see that later. You see God starts sending helpers. Helpers. Go and check it. David had the habit of running away from trouble. Go and read your Bible. David's habit was running away from trouble. It's only occasionally he starts misbehaving. Otherwise, when he says Saul is looking for him, he runs away. 
At the point in time, at the point in time, he ran away from the territories of Israel. God had to tell him to go back. He stayed in the territories of Judah, hiding from one place, from one cave to the other. Anytime Paul, Saul is coming, he ran. He didn't fight Saul. Never fought Saul. He will run. But you know what? God gathered men around him. Strong people. Let me prophesy for you. Strong people will come and help you. Amen. Let's rise to our feet. Let's share the grace. All right, so we're with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we depart from here, goodness will go with you. Amen. God's mercy will go with you. Amen. Favor will happen to you. Amen. Remember, favor is what you need. Say so one moment of favor is worth a lifetime of labor. Your life will not be that of labor. Your life will be a life of faithfulness and favor. Ah, that's a nice one. Say it, my life, my life is a life of faithfulness. My life is a life of favor. Say, I live a life of faithfulness and favor in the name of Jesus. Increase is your portion in Jesus' name. Favor is your portion in the name of Jesus. Please, if you are sick anywhere, I feel so strongly that God wants to get into the habit of knocking away every affliction from our body. Every single affliction. Every single affliction. Even if you, if you have gotten used to it, become unused to it. You know there are things you have gotten used to. Get used to bad things. I always have a headache by this time of the week. Not a good thing. Now, if anywhere is disturbing you, now I'm going to pray, that, pray for that once. If tomorrow, if I say anywhere disturbing you, don't answer. Say no, I'm not being disturbed again. Are you getting my point? Yeah, we are believing the word of God and healing will come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, like we did last time, as we are praying, also believe God for somebody. A loved one, not the one you watch on television, please. Let's not waste time with our faith. People you don't know, just it's your pity party. Hey, this girl is suffering, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people you know that if they died now, you too, half of you don't die. Are you getting my point? Yes, you will be, you will be mourning for days. Those are the people I'm talking about. Let's pray for them. So I'm praying for two people now. If you are here, you are afflicted in any way, or you have a loved one. Father, we thank you because you are our hope. From you comes our healing. Thank you for the word that has come today. We know with it came the spirit of healing. You are our lifter. And if we recognize you, we know we have been lifted out of illnesses. And also we have been lifted out of poverty. But right now, Lord, we focus on every affliction. We command it to disappear in Jesus' name. I come in agreement with you. Whether in your body or in that of a loved one, receive perfect health in Jesus' name. Amen. Even though it's trivia, receive perfect health in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, even, they do see, they, even though they say it's incurable, at the same time, receive perfect health in the name of Jesus. Amen. No affliction stays in your body Amen. because you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been washed. Amen. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Therefore, you are free. Amen. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship. Those coming for the first time, just open to that magazine with you. Open to page 11. All the rest of us, I believe, we know it by heart. One, two, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death. We have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and shining forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now bless somebody around you, three people. Multiplication, dominion, and shining forth in the name of Jesus. This is your season. This is your season. One more person. This is your season. Multiplication, dominion, and shining forth. 
And don't forget yourself, this is my season of multiplication, dominion, and shining forth in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, share of brethren.